Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Our gathering together this morning is a declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. And we are gathered together as his body, his assembly, recognizing the wonder of his work in our lives. Have you ever wondered what this thing called the church is all about? As you study scripture, we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We are commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are commanded to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but to recognize how important it is even as we understand that the time of the coming of Jesus Christ is that much closer. first Sunday in January of 2020, we started a study on the pastoral epistles. And our intent was to understand what God had to say about this thing we call the church. You see, God had Paul write three letters. Three letters to two different pastors, Timothy and Titus. To help these young men recognize how they were to lead the church of Jesus Christ. As elders, what servant leadership was all about. As bishops, how they were to use wisdom, the wisdom of God to make a difference in people's lives. And as pastors, how to shepherd the flock. And as we studied this epistle, we recognize that God had some things to say to us as an assembly of believers called Calvary Baptist Church. In March, COVID hit, and that changed a lot of things. And so we ran a couple of detours. The first detour was a recognition of the powerful words of Scripture. The words that declared he is risen. Boy, those are powerful words. The words, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Understanding that our God is in control no matter what. And then we went from there and we talked about why we love the church. Because we miss the church so much. You see, we had not regathered at that point. And it was... So unusual to meet virtually on Sunday mornings, missing the family dynamic that we have together as the body of, of Christ. We got into September and began our study again of First Timothy, starting in chapter 3 as we talked about diakonos, servants, and the requirement that God has on those who serve the local assembly of believers. And on that first Sunday back in 1 Timothy, we recognized Connie Carey, a very faithful servant for almost 30 years here at Calvary Baptist Church. This morning, we're going to wrap up our study of 1 Timothy. And we are going to discover 
four truths that Paul wanted to make sure Timothy reminded his people of. Now, you might think that Paul was done with 1 Timothy as you read the last word in verse 16 of chapter 6. That's a very simple word. It's the word, amen. But you need to understand and probably recognize that when we say amen in church, it doesn't mean that it's done. Amen? There's still more that we need to digest and put into our lives. And so beginning with verse 17, Paul almost adds a postscript. He, he reminds Timothy of some very important truths that he is to teach his people and live out through his, his own life. You follow along in your copy of the scriptures, please, as I begin with verse 17 and read down through verse 21. As for the rich, Timothy, the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The rich, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation Foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. For you, Timothy, and for your people, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble, contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Timothy, grace to you and to all you share this epistle with. Now we understand that this is for the church. And Paul has already told us in 1 Timothy who the church is. We won't take time to turn to it in our, passage, in our scriptures, but I wanted to look at the front screen, will you please? Paul writes in verse 15 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of truth. Timothy, I'm writing these things so you know how to behave. And why is that important? Because this is the household of God. This is the church of the living God. This is where you find truth to live for God. And as Paul has written to Timothy, he's given him some advice for the church. Let me give you an outline of 1 Timothy here, will you please? Uh, it won't surprise you that it's in an acrostic. Chapter 1, Timothy talks about advice concerning false teaching. In fact, throughout the epistle as we have studied, he addresses false teaching some four times. Timothy, it's a real problem, be careful. In chapter 2, he talks about godly women and gives them directions about how they are to share and how they are to serve and how they are to make a difference within the body of Christ. In chapter 3, virtues of church leaders, pastors and deacons, the standards that are to be in their lives if they are going to be chosen as leadership to serve within the body of Christ. Chapter 4, Timothy talks about instructions for godly living. If you're going to live godly, live out the gospel. 
Never forget it's about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ that you represent from your life. Chapter 5 talks about the care for widows and caring for elders because it's important that an assembly recognize they have a responsibility to care for those who who serve. And in chapter 6, the effects of worldly living or or, or the effects of living ungodly in, in this world. And Paul now comes to the end of this epistle. Timothy, there are four truths that I don't want you to forget. There are four challenges that I want you to give to people. Because if they are going to recognize that they are the household of God, the church of the living God, this is how they must live. All right, here we go. The first truth involves those who are rich. Those who are rich are to use their treasure wisely. Now, when one becomes a child of God, when one receives Jesus Christ in their personal Savior, they are not required to take a vow of poverty. And when we think about all of the blessings of God, we realize how blessed we are by God. Do you realize this morning that if you have some food in your fridge, you have a roof over your head, that you're richer than 75% of the people around the globe? You understand this morning that if you have a bank account, some money in your billfold, change in your pocket, you're among the top 8% in the world? God has richly blessed America, and as you study the history of this great land, you understand God's hand upon us as a people. And so as we look at the text, I don't want you to think you have to be a Bill Gates or a Mark Zuckerberg or among those billionaires that many times are flaunted in front of us. And Paul says... Timothy, remind those who have resources of this world's goods some things. And they are to live their lives wisely, recognizing what God has given to them. Now, there are a couple of warnings in this text for those of us who are rich. The first warning is this. Charge them not to be haughty. You know, sometimes it's real easy to look down on people who may not have what you have, who may not have what I have. I at least recently read about a church who called a new pastor. And on his first Sunday, he was going to be introduced to the congregation. Well, he worked with church leadership, and he decided that he wanted to get to know his people in a little different way. So he dressed as a homeless person. And as the congregation was entering the church, he was out on the front steps asking for change. 
No one knew this was the new pastor. He came into the worship center as the service was beginning and sat in the back. Now, as I read this article, I knew it had to be during COVID because people distanced themselves from him. The service began, and it came time to introduce the new pastor. The elders welcomed him, and he got up from his seat in the back and made his way to the platform. And he simply said this, my goal as a pastor is to help us see this world the way Jesus sees this world. And he sat down. I'm not sure what the congregation thought after his first message. But I'll tell you this, it was a powerful message. And we who are rich need to see this world through the eyes of Jesus. Not being haughty because God has blessed us. Blessed us abundantly. But recognizing that he has given us those resources for a reason. There's a second warning that Paul encourages Timothy to give to those who are rich, and that's this. Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Have you noticed what the stock market did in 2020? In March, it plummeted. In one day, it dropped 22%. Now, that was not the first time the stock market had plummeted. On October 19, 1987, the stock market took a dip. Now, I can tell you why it took a dip on October 19, 1987. Because I turned 35, and the market just couldn't handle that. And that's not talking about the dip that it took back in 1939 and the Great Depression. But here's the point. Paul says, warn your people, warn your congregation not to trust in riches because they're temporary but to understand that we can trust in God who richly provides everything for us to enjoy. Be an instrument of God and let him take care of you. Friday afternoon, Connie and I went to Ship Shawana. We there met some folks that we have known for some 40 years one couple that we'd probably not seen for 35 years. And we went to a Collingsworth concert. I don't know if you've been in the new venue down there, but I watched the screens as much as I watched the stage. Because on the screens, there were different camera angles that while Kim was playing the piano, you could really see what was going on and how she was manipulating that instrument to do just what she wanted it to do. A thought struck me. 
What would happen if you and I would allow God to manipulate our lives just as he wants them to be lived out for his glory? You see, that piano was dead unless Kim was doing something to it. It had no life. There was no music coming from it. But the way she manipulated and massaged those keys brought forth a wonderful message. And it was dynamic. And I got excited. Now, I'm kind of like Pastor John. I don't think that Christmas ought to be legal until after Thanksgiving. And even during Christmas, I want a balance in my life. I have XM radio. And the gospel station that I usually listen to has gone to all Christmas music. I've had to find another gospel station. Early in that concert, I, I turned to Connie and I said, I'll bet this is just going to be Christmas music, isn't it? It was, and it was wonderful. And I got excited. And, you know, I'm a little bit of an introvert, and I don't show my feelings very much. But I got excited with the thought of God playing in my life the melody that he wants to be lived out from my life. In fact, after the concert, and we were socially distanced in that arena, in that, in that concert hall, a couple of ladies behind us as we were walking to the aisle said, boy, we had so much fun watching you. And they said, you must be a minister of music someplace. Connie assured them that I wasn't. But the truth is, you who are rich, us who are rich, ought to allow God's melody to flow from our hearts because that is the life that he's given to us and to use the resources that we have. Don't be haughty. Don't get all caught up in stuff. But recognize God's work as he has given you so much to enjoy. Amen? And we're not done yet. So those are the warnings. But he also talks about some winnings. And he says, verse 18, the rich... You and me are to do good. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. It's interesting how Paul directs Timothy to remind his congregation, his folks, about how to live out their lives. You know, that's what God always intended, wasn't it? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we know those verses. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Verse 10. By the way, verse 10 follows verse 9. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. See, here's the truth. Because we have so much, because God has given us so much to enjoy, 
We need to do good works because we have the ability to do that. We may need to make an impact because we can. And we need to make a difference in people's lives. We need to be generous, ready to share, liberal, bountiful, overflowing with the wonder of God in our lives. And what does that lead to? Verse 19, thus storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, truly life is not just getting stuff. Truly life is being able to give it away. You've heard it. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Try it. You'll like it. And that's absolutely true. As God allows us because of his blessings to us to lay up treasure, understanding what life is all about, recognizing why God placed us here on planet Earth. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on heaven or on earth. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupts and thieves break through and steal. The stock market goes up and down. The value of the dollar fluctuates. And you're on a fixed income and you don't know where the next 10 years are going to come from. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven or neither moth nor rust will corrupt, or thieves won't break through and steal. And then he says, you can't serve God in money. I regularly talk to my folks. As you well know, 92 and 94. And part of our conversation, often part of our conversation, is on the faithfulness of God in their lives. Use your treasure wisely. Why? Because God gave it to you. And you are to invest it. Timothy challenged his believers to recognize the responsibility they had with the resources God had given them. May I, may I just ask you four questions? This may help you sort through some things. Question number one. Which concerns you more? Which concerns me more? How much money I have or how much of me God has? Question number two. Do I pray more about God supplying material items than I do about developing my Christian character? God, I need this. God, will you please do that? God, will you take care of? Or God, conform me into the image of your son. Question number three, do I spend more time and money caring for my house and lawn than I do in helping others? <laughs> Maybe I should have put up here shoveling my drive because that is coming. Question number four, am I confident about the future because my bank account is healthy or because my spirit is secure in Christ? Question number five, 
What does God want to do in your life? We talk about it, don't we? Next spiritual steps. Intentionally take. Timothy, challenge your people to use their treasure wisely. Timothy, challenge your people to make sure that they protect the truth judiciously. Look at the first phrase of verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Now, what was the deposit? As you study Timothy's life, the deposit was that which others saw illustrated because of the work of the gospel in Timothy's life. If you want to see how Paul and Timothy related, you can go back to Acts chapter 16, and you can discover there that Timothy was with Paul on a missionary journey. They got to Ephesus. Paul left Timothy there to to pastor this church. Paul then followed the Macedonian call and, and went on with ministry. And throughout that whole thing, Paul talks about the gospel that had been evidenced in Timothy's life. Timothy, challenge your people to live out the gospel and to protect the truth judiciously. Make sure that they understand that it's all about the good news of the gospel that makes a difference in people's lives. It's not kind of what kind of car we drive, what kind of house we live in, what kind of junk we have. It's about the gospel. Connie and I are thinning out and paring down. And we have secured a storage facility where we're moving some of our stuff. Yesterday, one of our grandsons <laughs> was, was with Connie as she was unloading a, a, a load of, of stuff. And, and he said, after seeing what all was in the storage unit, he says, Mimi? Do you have any furniture left in your house? <laughs> oh man, do we. I want to make sure that my energy is spent on protecting the gospel and the truth that God has given to me. Because that's what's important. And frankly, we've not stored a thing that we need. Timothy, make sure that you live out truth. Timothy, understand the gospel and that doctrine is so, so important. Never get away from that. Why? Because you're the household of God, the church living, the pillar and buttress of truth. Guard it judiciously, never let it slip away. No matter what, Timothy. And Timothy, tell your people to watch out for trouble earnestly. Be on guard. Let's go on to verse 20. Timothy, avoid irreverent babble, contradictions, of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Timothy, 
charge the false teachers. Some will depart from the faith. There will be a different doctrine. But pay attention. Watch for trouble. Look out. Don't listen to that which is godless, that which is profane, that which has nothing to do with the main thing, which is God. Protect it, Timothy. You know the best way to stay out of trouble? Avoid it. Connie and I have different driving styles. It'll probably surprise you that in some ways I'm a rather aggressive driver. Now, I have mellowed a bit in my, my age. In fact, uh, Connie and I coming back from Shipshawana the other night, I said, Connie, I don't, I don't enjoy driving at night as I once did. Connie has the philosophy, when appropriate, slow down, take it easy, stay out of trouble. I have the philosophy, keep going, and when you get into trouble, you can probably get out of it. Taking some defensive driving and know how to do that. But I will tell you this, I've put the car in the ditch more times than Connie has. So maybe I ought to listen. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, stay out of the ditch. Timothy, be careful. Avoid some things. Avoid irreverent babble. People just going on and on and on and on about that which really doesn't matter. I like the way the NIV translates this. It says, avoid worldly and empty chatter. The King James uses the word profane and idle babblings. Don't get involved with them, Timothy. They will not produce godliness in your life. Remind your people to keep the main thing the main thing. Because if you don't, Timothy, you're going to get in trouble. And avoid contradictions. Some have translated this, that which is in opposition to the word of God, i.e. science, philosophy, psychology. Yeah, you know, it is really tough to reconcile the stuff of life and the challenges of life in the Word of God. You ever feel alone? You ever wonder what God was? Job did. He looked all around. He couldn't find God. But do you know what Job's confession was? Job said, God, even though I can't see him, I don't know where he is, I don't understand. God knows the way that I take and when I come forth, I'll be tried as gold. That's a reflection of what we read in Hebrews, isn't it? He'll never leave us nor forsake us. So when you feel alone, don't debate about it. Understand what the Word of God says. God never leave us nor forsake us. It's going to be all right. You ever wonder... What to do when you find yourself in 
situations that you don't know what to do? Pastor Preston preached on this some time ago, what to do when you don't know what to do. And, and his counsel to us was take the next step and be ready to have God change your plans. I would tell you, Romans chapter 8, allow the Spirit to pray for you because the Spirit prays for us according to the will of God with groanings that cannot be uttered. Recognize that everything that happens to us is for our good and God's glory. We know that all things work together for good. And to know that God's plan and purpose is to challenge you and change you and conform you to Jesus Christ. So what he is doing is helping us understand that we have to be less like ourselves and more like the Son of God. Timothy, unless conversation leads you down that road, don't be part of it. Because it won't take you anyplace. More and more, I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's so simple. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Okay. And lean not unto your own understanding. How many times do I don't get it? <laughs> How many times do I not recognize that God is at work? How many times do I fail to see the hand of God in a circumstance? I must know that it's above my pay grade. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then he'll direct your paths. Okay, God, I don't get it, but take me where you want me to go. And you know what? You'll always get there if you follow God. So, Timothy, watch out for trouble because you can get in trouble if you're not careful. Avoid it. And then Paul concludes this epistle with four wonderful words. Grace be with you. Timothy, make sure that in your life you are living with a tender heart and you are doing it graciously. Grace, as you well know, is God giving to us what we do not deserve. And our grace to others is giving to them what they do not deserve. Paul began, began the epistle this way. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and our, in Christ Jesus our Lord. He started there and he ends there. And he says, remind your people to be gracious, to recognize that we need to treat others in a way that reflects the good news that comes from our lives. And by the way, if you were to translate this out of the Greek, it would be, grace be with y'all. It's a plural. And Paul packages the wonder First Timothy, all around living graciously. Can you imagine what would take place at Calvary Baptist Church if everybody in our community knew they were a gracious people? 
and identified us as gracious people. And we had the reputation of being gracious people. So ends 1 Timothy. But let me very quickly give you four lessons that we have learned as we've studied this epistle. We have learned that we are the household of God, the household of faith. And because we are the household of faith, we need to have watch care for those who serve and share, women and widows and, and elders. We need to watch over each other, stay connected to each other. And you know, we have to be intentional about that. Because we are the church of the living God, there are some things that need to take place in our lives. We need to witness, live out the gospel, and we need to weigh the high standards for leadership within the body. And because we are the pillar and buttress, the pillar and ground of, of truth, we need to warn against false doctrine because there's those who would wander away from the faith. I love the church. The church of Jesus Christ. The church that Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, he would build, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Amen? And I am so excited about how God is building this body of believers as we live out the truth from this book.